All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product-Led Podcast. I am so excited for this discussion. So we have Roman, who is the co-founder of Hall. And we're going to be digging into a lot of different things around product-led growth. And more specifically for this particular episode, what happens when a free trial or free experience doesn't really work out? And what are some of the thoughts you need to consider when going into it? And we're going to get into that. But before we really do, uh, Roman, can you take a couple seconds, just describe a little bit more about what Hull is and why you decided to start it in the first place? Sure. So Hull is, in a nutshell, is a, it's a customer data platform. There's a, a lot of companies today that are looking for kind of under, an understanding on what this is. Basically, a CDP centralizes sales, marketing, product data to create a single source of truth, a unified profile, or kind of call it a single customer view. And the thing is, once the data has been brought together in one place, then you can unlock a lot of opportunities to save time, money, to optimize for product-led growth, as it turns out, but also for marketing, for personalization, for having the right conversations in sales, uh, increasing conversion, so a lot of things. And so one of the kind of the way we came to this, I mean, it's actually a really old thing. Back then when I had an agency, a digital agency, I was kind of, it was painful to see our customers invest a lot of money in a lot of, you know, isolated silos of marketing campaigns that ended up in Excel files. And at some point, I realized that there should be a better way to manage data over time and create a really a deep relationship with your customers. And so that's kind of the inception of that. That's how it started out. Awesome. And I I remember the first time I went in Hull, it was for someone else's account. It was just like, you, you got to check this out. And <laughs> I think it's definitely one thing, like I never heard about like a CDP before. And then when I, I went into it, I was like, oh my goodness, this makes complete sense. Because right now, especially if you look at just just the MarTech landscape, you have like oh. over 8,000 yeah. tools. And on average... Most businesses use quite a few of them. And oh, you'd be surprised, even more than what you think. I mean, people would, I mean, just what number would you give? Okay, so like marketing stack, <laughs> at yeah. least like 25. Yeah, you know, more like 50 to 75, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so that's you see all. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so when you have so much data silos, it's, it's pretty cool when you just, the examples I was going through is just type in someone's email and then you just see like the list of everything this person has done, whether it's through from your website or uh, in your product. And so it, it's pretty, mm -hmm. I could totally nerd out about that with you, but <laughs> I totally get the need. And so I wanted to kind of go into the story of... Paul, and just you've been experimenting a lot, which I love. And I noticed on the website for the longest time, the main call to action was definitely like, let's get people to sign up for a demo. But then I also noticed that your team had tried a free trial. So I'd love to, mm -hmm. to kind of take a step back before we dig into the free trial and how that really went. I want to mm -hmm. hear the why, because a lot of the listeners are thinking about like, should I go down this product-led path? Mm -hmm go complete like free trial freemium. So I am really hoping you can like share a little bit more about just the reasoning behind it and why you 
decided you might want to test out that way. Sure. And I think it's a pretty interesting story earlier on, like a lot of companies, we believed that SaaS equals trial or freemium. You have to have that. And so we saw the outstanding success of product-led growth and we're helping apply it for our own customers. So we kind of, it made sense for us to say, you know, the trend is that is in mid-market, not only in mid-market, but especially in mid-market, which is our target market, you kind of want to reduce upfront sales conversations and, and start exploring product by yourself. Uh, it has a lot of benefits for the customers because they can solve their own problems at their own pace with your product. They get the value faster with less friction. And it has a lot of benefits for your company also because you put in place something that scales really well and becomes really predictable. And so we had a vision for this fully self-service product that would walk customers through an onboarding, deliver an immediate short-term value by setting up a few connectors, unifying data from a few tools, and be happy and successful. And we thought it could simplify our product onboarding enough. If we could do that, then we would have a massively scalable and predictable growth pattern in place. So it was really tempting. So yeah, that was kind of the original mindset for that, obviously. I mean, like I guess a lot of companies are thinking the same way today. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think uh, a lot of founders are in that same position thinking, hey, this has this massive scale of possibility, but I, I want to hear, okay, how is that first experience? You you tested this out. And to like give you the full disclosure, like this is not so much although it's the product-led podcast, it's not trying to figure out like there's a right way, there's a wrong way because there's never that case. It's never. like, usually it depends, but most exactly. people don't like hearing that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it really depends. What we saw being incredibly successful for some of our customers turned out being mildly successful for others, not successful for yet another range of customers. And really, there's a lot of things to take into account because this is not a tactic. This is a strategy. This is something you should commit to and put in place a lot of time and energy into getting this right because it probably won't work for the first attempt. And so you kind of really need to scope out whether you are having a chance at success or if you have forgotten to look at some very interesting and very obvious things that you should be planning for. Yes. And so where I see a lot of people get stuck is that first attempt. Mm -hmm. So what did that look like for all? So originally we took a bunch of things, you know, I, I believe a lot in the type one and type two decisions, the things that are reversible and the things that aren't. We strive towards making all of the reversible decisions really fast, such as like the trial duration, for instance. There was a lot of discussion, but it went really fast. We said, okay, do we do 14 days, uh, one month, two months? My friends at Medkudu are doing an incredible job at going deeper on some of the data that supports that. I mean, long story short, we set out on 14 days because we believe that this number is actually pretty artificial. What really matters is how much time does it take for your customer to get some value and not how much time do you want to allow before closing. So even if your customer doesn't get the value, you still want to extend their trial or you want to kind of continue the conversation. Not all customers are going to have like a, that kind of binary boundary at the date of the trial. So this is the kind of decision we made really fast knowing we can change it at any time. and then. 
we started defining what success looks like. And this is actually where I think we got some learnings. A lot of people and a lot of online knowledge tells you that success is not getting a customer on its way with things completely set up. Success is getting them value. And so we started by trying to get customers on their way, which was our assumption that if you do have some data flowing in and some data flowing out, you are successful. What is really interesting here is that we, I mean, most obvious metric is, are you going to turn free trialers into paying customers? But I mean, looking at that is just way too wide for a scope. So you need to be a lot more granular. And so we built a number of funnels that really accurately showed us how you get to a fully functional data flow, how you know our different cohorts, how we can improve the time to installing your first connector, how you can improve the time to having some data flowing in. And then we looked at how do you improve the time to having two products sending, two sources sending data to the same place to show unified data, the concept of unified data. And then we also went towards building audiences in Hull as a metric for success. And then we said, okay, now actually the value is in getting the data back to the tools that you use, because this is what you really want. So we also measured that. And we were still getting a lot of success. And that's really interesting. But what we realized is that we could have two customers with the exact same setup fully working. One of them was ready to convert and super excited, see clear value, you know, ready to commit. And the other would be completely undecided. It's like, okay, I did this basic stuff, but that's not really what I want. And to me, this is one of the big learnings. It's like, you need to be aware of what defines success for your customer and not success in terms of action. And this is where, where we decided, at that point, we still had the free trial, but we decided to optimize for value delivered instead of successful usage of the product. Yeah. So, I mean, that was really kind of the, the moment where we started you know, taking a step back and say, okay, we have this free trial that is successful by any metric that you can look at, but not the one that is most obvious. Can we bring free trialers into paying customers consistently and scalably? And so, yeah, that's kind of where we started, you know, taking a step back. Interesting. And I'm so happy you mentioned not focusing so much on like, what is the action they're doing in the products versus the actual value at the end for the user, because that's what really matters. And they could be doing the same action, but having those totally different outcomes. One might be, I'm thinking of like a easy example a lot of people could relate to, like maybe Canva, like creating your first poster, like one person (laughs) finishes it, they do all the actions, they're like, I hate this. The other person is like, oh my goodness, I'm a graphic designer today. And so it's just like the same action doesn't necessarily equate to the end value. So for that, I want to dig into that. How did you really try and figure out at the end of the day, what is that the end value? Because they could do the same thing, but the experience was different based on value. Well, this is where, you know, as I said, we took a step back and this is where we started looking. How do we define value? Well, you know what? As a product guy myself, the best way to actually 
learned that is not to look at metrics, it's to talk to your customers. So I, we started talking to them, you know, querying, asking them, you know, you're set up, it works. Do you see value? And what we realized is that things were actually way more complex than we thought for our customers. But not in terms of using our product, but in terms of understanding their own problem. They knew they had a problem. They knew they wanted to solve it really hard. They spent like hours trying in our product to solve it, but they did not understand their own problem. And so this is where we realized that really bringing value to our customers started with having actual conversations with them to help them understand their own problem. Be their shrink, if you will, in terms of data flows. And so, I mean, this is where we started evaluating, you know, the strategy and saying, okay, we need to have a self-service trial, but we need to talk to them. That's a little bit counterintuitive. You want to get them onboarded by themselves, but you realize that by themselves, they can't solve their own problems because they can't understand them. And so, yeah, this is where we started kind of, you know, slowly trying to bring in some more conversation. And we started realizing that maybe the free trial was not the best way to do that. Interesting. And so when people don't understand the problem that well, which it sounds like that was one of the, the big pieces where they didn't necessarily know how to solve because they didn't understand the full problem. Do you feel like that was part of the market? Just like not with the awareness stage, maybe it was too early in the market for a free trial or a self-service motion when people don't understand it? Or what was the main kind of driver behind people not understanding their problem? So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm very critical of our own, I mean, I can have a very, you know, outside eye towards what we're doing. And my first gut feeling was, well, if people don't know they have a problem, then should we be solving it? But the thing is, they know they have a problem. They just don't understand exactly what it is. So it's a very different thing from having kind of solving a, a problem that doesn't need solving. They, they want us to solve it mm-hmm. and they just don't know how. And the reality behind that is that we're talking to less technical people. Even marketing technologists are technical, but they are less technical than a CTO. And so we're talking to people who are less technical about one of the most complex areas of information technology, which is managing heterogeneous data at scale in a hostile environment. I mean, I would call every single API out there hostile because they are all different and they all have different patterns, capabilities. And so basically, you know, there are some things that even us can't solve with technology because there is just no API on the destination service for that. And so we can do, we can simplify a lot, but we cannot do everything. And so at that point, it becomes something that you have to talk to with the customer so that they can understand the scope of the problem and the possibilities to solve it. And so what's really interesting here is that The more technical the problem is, the more this is true. And sometimes the most immediate solution feels fine, feels great. Like, oh, I just plugged in HubSpot and Salesforce together, and that works. Mm -hmm. But actually, you can be creating issues down the road if you don't have someone experienced reviewing that and helping you, you know, do it the right way as opposed to 
the way that is going to create some trouble. And whether it will create some trouble is very specific to your business. You know, so the solution is not the same for everyone. So, yeah. Okay. And do you feel like part of that was ever like maybe targeting the wrong people if they didn't have the ability or was it just there, there wasn't enough training in place for these people where they could like seriously benefit from this, but it wasn't, uh, they weren't the right like technical ability to really maximize mm-hmm. the value of this product. So, I mean, they can use the product and they can understand what we're you know, discussing with them really well. What they maybe lack is the experience of having seen hundreds of those setups. And so when our customers are onboarded, things are really smooth. I mean, we have someone on our team being acting kind of a, as an advisor. And they are mostly using the product by themselves and having very little assistance. So it's not like it's an ongoing issue. You kind of need that initial consultation to just get in the right place. And then things are good after that. So this is something that actually goes really, you know, opposite to the whole self-service pattern at that point. Absolutely. And so whenever you made this change, did the way you market change? Because I know for a lot of more so like sales-led companies, they're Mm -hmm. usually trying to target the buyer, the decision maker, and who you approach an organization changes. Whereas with a free trial or freemium model, you're usually going after that user. And that could be like, maybe it's just the the manager or someone who is not necessarily at the very top of the business. And Mm -hmm. so did that change at all whenever you, you made this experiment? It didn't really change that much. The thing is, our users, we didn't target them in the first place entirely because that would actually be something where they... I mean, we, we actually, we started, we tried that. But what happens is that when you're talking about integrating with Salesforce, you cannot just do it on your own. At some point, you're going to have to ask for permission. And so you get you know, to the decision maker at that point, because Hull is a product whose entire pattern is about strategic, central organization. And so it doesn't really fare well with starting on the side. So it's structural to the problem we are solving. We're we're a product that helps organizing things, orchestrating things. So we are very central to the stack. And so as a result, you don't have really side usage. Okay. No, that's, that's totally fair. And so I want to also kind of almost take a step back from the decision you mentioned earlier, like this was a free trial mm-hmm. and you didn't really necessarily care, like the type one versus type two kind of decisions for the, the amount of days you had for it. Mm-hmm. But why free trial versus freemium or some other hybrid model? Sure. Well, if I was to start again, I would look at obviously freemium, free trial, and maybe a sandbox. The freemium, you have a really strong financial risk attached to it. You know, you provide a lot of uh, of value for free in the hopes of having natural conversions. But the thing is, in our specific case, we're talking about a lot of computation, a lot of data. And so as a result, probably a lot of cost, interesting cost. But the second thing and the more important one is that are you selling something that is small and simple or are you selling something that solve a very complex problem? 
And there, you know, there's a lot of product that solves a very specific need. And that's a good thing. You know, you identify a problem, you solve it the simplest way possible. You don't bother the customer with useless information or cores and you're delivering value. But I think it would be naive to say that you can try to apply this to anything. And some products solve very complex problems or problems that are, take many shapes. And so they do so because they're delivering high value as a payoff. So products like ours are the kind of products that solve very complex, very varied, very nasty problems. And so that means complexity is shifted from the platform to the problem. The learning curve is not so much the product for the product, but as I said, for understanding the problem space. So as you're you know, solving those bigger problems, there is a large ROI. And you do want to tackle them. The sooner you do it, the more you can catch them before they get ugly. You know, if you ask any large enterprise how complex data integration is, they're probably going to have a lot of horror stories. But the thing is, a freemium product is meant as a way to test, try something light. So you're kind of barely even scratching the real problem. Uh, there's a bunch of products on the market that have very fast, very simple setups you know, that just take data from A to B. Those uh, products are mainly suited towards a lot of SMBs companies who have very simple data integration problems. As soon as you get higher in larger companies, problems become really complicated. And I didn't see a company solving you know, simple problems, very naive ones, scale up towards the kind of level of complexity that those companies encounter. So this is why I do believe that freemium will not, I mean, the value you get from freemium will be kind of a good way to establish a reputation for branding, but not necessarily as a source of qualified leads and customers that will actually, you know, want to go to the next step with you. We didn't see that alignment. Okay. And I, I want to hear more about your thoughts on the market. So sure. you mentioned, for instance, like the, the main problem isn't necessarily the technology. It's understanding like the problem mm-hmm. and how you really could potentially approach it. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's this one saying I've heard again and again from a lot of private founders where they say that your total addressable market can grow if you make the product a lot easier. So yeah. I'm trying to really understand like if this could be applied in a different way, like if that's, it's not necessarily the issue with the product, it's mm-hmm. the market. Like they, they don't understand how to really approach these big, complex, hairy problems. And so how do you think about that? And just like as a whole market, like how do you really help these people get to that conclusion faster than they would have previously done? I think that... You know, there's the product market fit mindset. There's the problem solution fit mindset. I think you need three things to have a successful relationship with the customer. You have to have awareness of the problem, ability to solve it, and means to solve it, as in financial means or team means. If you don't have any engineer, you know, (laughs) you're going to have an issue with solving technical problems. And so in our case, the problem is very much, I mean, it is very clear. We spend a lot of time evaluating whether our customers have either ability 
to solve it. And this is what where we actually have a margin of adjustment with our team who has the expertise to bridge the gap. And obviously, financial means, same thing for everyone. So, I mean, our way to grow the market is to educate people on the fact that this problem can be solved. Today, you know, in 2020, it cannot be solved with a one-click magical integration, and it cannot be solved with naive setups. Because basically what you do is you just push the problem further and you make it bigger. If you just, you know, plug in your tool to any tag manager or, you know, data pipe that just going to blindly send data from A to B, you think you get it right in five minutes and you realize down the road that you have been sending the wrong data for six months and that there is no fixing that. And that, you know, the data you need in one place, usually somewhere else, that due to the way things are done, you cannot just send everything from A to B because B is going to refuse it. And it it just gets nasty very quick. So what we do is we do that kind of consultation where we say, okay, this are your business objectives. This is what you want to solve. This is the problem you're aware of. This is a problem you want to solve. And we're going to, you know, give you the keys to solving it in a simple way with our product. So you're not going to have to build infrastructure. You're not going to have to maintain integrations. You're not going to have to look into edge cases because we're going to take care of all of this. But, you know, there's 10 ways to do that if we start there. And we're going to, you know, look at your story and be able to identify the right way. So it's not a matter of technical ability. It's a matter of experience. Over time, you bridge that with, obviously, brand awareness, thought leadership. You bridge that with a lot of education. And people start understanding the right solutions naturally. So this is our view of the market. We've seen it when we started. I think there was maybe like 20 companies that we could find who would have the right setup to use our product on the market. And the year after, there was maybe 600. And today, it's just like, we can't address our entire market where we could previously. Yeah, and I'm so happy you mentioned that in terms of the differentiation between, okay, there's your user who's going to be using your product, their problems and how they really problem solve. And then there's also Mm -hmm. just the product itself. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. like I've seen this happen the wrong way where companies try to oversimplify how you could potentially set up their product. And I love the folks at Mixpanel, but here's a good example because they learned a lot from this. The one-touch yep. setup. Um, yep. So you set up your product analytics by just setting, like clicking here, like I want to track these things. And then you get this data. It's, it really depends on how it was developed, who is developing the product. They use the same tags in certain places because mm-hmm. first time I got it, I'm like, I wish I had that many signups. It would have been a dream. But it was just because it wasn't set up right. And so it does come to that. Sometimes there is only so much you could do on your end um, to really make it easier. And then beyond that is really innovating on how do we help our market really solve these problems better, faster, Mm -hmm. and more efficiently than they had previously done in the past. So thank you for mentioning that. No, totally. Awesome. And so, okay, let's say you are going to be launching this free trial premium model again. What would you be doing differently? I think I would spend a lot more time making sure that there is a path to success with self-service in our specific context, driving users towards the aha moment, selling value as opposed to selling functionality and and making sure that it is set up. So 
I mean, asking a question in a perfect world where you can build everything and there is a way to show value without support. I mean, is there a value? Is there a way to, to show that value without human support? I think we live in a, in a world that is very fleeting. And so value has to be delivered immediately or you're going to move away. And if your you know, value delivery timeline is counted in months, you might want to reconsider whether customers will go all the way to the end. So maybe we'd look into something like a sandbox. Uh, we thought about that, where customers could play with a fully set up product that shows how it is set up the same way you saw it work at some of our customers, uh, you know, showing the value, but without having to connect their own data. This way they can look at things, you know, when they're set up, when they're fully working and they can understand what the outcome is. I don't know if this would count as a free trial. I don't think it would. But I, I mean, I strongly believe in automation, automating all of your lead gen efforts, for instance, or generating signals for CS after success was achieved and based on product usage, we do a lot of that after the customer has gotten value. But I think it would be naive to think that we can automate every step of the funnel. And today, I mean, I believe uh, self-service might not apply to every company. If your problem you're solving is simple and there is a way to automate your way to success, by all means, you should. But we realized that in our case, we needed to help our customers understand their own problems. And I'm glad you mentioned the sandbox <laughs> idea because one of the, the previous people we had was the VP of marketing at Amplitude. Her name's Sandhaya. Mm -hmm. And if you want to dive deeper into it, um, check out that episode. Small plug for that. But yep. like part of the reasoning for Amplitude in this particular case, since they do have a sandbox, is the product folks that were signing up for their product, they weren't the technical ones to, or even best suited to start implementing this analytics. And so exactly. if they tried, like you would just be all messy. So that's why they had the sandbox. They realized who signing yep. up for a product is not the best person to do it. Could they get a glimpse of it? Yes. And so in some of those cases where your audience signing up for it, is not the best one to technically implement it. It can be a great way to really solve it. <laughs> is it yeah, product-led? Totally. It's really about like, can people see the value? And is it the best way to, to solve it? I don't know. I think you could have arguments on both sides where some people say, great, I didn't have to, to implement all these analytics, some yep. big, heavy technical implementation, and I could at least get a glimpse of it. So I think for a long time to value products, it can be that great way for people to at least see it, believe it. Because like you mentioned for myself, like that was me going into um, peep from Conversion Excel's account and being like, ah, I see it. <laughs> I understand it. And so, yeah, it, it didn't take me too long. So I'll make sure to thank him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, talking about free trial and product-led growth, I don't know if the two are completely tied together. I do believe that if your product has a natural network effect, you can be product-led. Product-led is not just a tactic. It is something that you see throughout the entire funnel. The free trial is only one step of the funnel. But in our case, for instance, the sales team isn't here to coerce people into buying nor you know, understanding. Because most customers already come with a clear vision. They know why they want us. They want us to unify their data and solve their data issues. The sales team is here for us to guide the customer towards the right mindset and approach to solving the problem like a consultant would. 
But after that, the product is used in the company and we see a natural pattern towards more and more people in the company wanting to rely on the data that is in Hull and you know, starting to plug it to their own systems to get value from it. There is social proof inside the company and outside. There's a network effect that is just important to me as acquisition in growing through the product. So I wouldn't just say that product-led has to be through the entire funnel. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you on that one too. And as we wrap up, I wanted to, you mentioned this at the very beginning. I'm like, okay, I got to say this to the end. But I love to hear more about how you make decisions since it sounds pretty interesting. You have, Mm -hmm. you mentioned like type one, type two, not sure if there's type three or four kind of decisions, but how do you approach decisions? Because what I loved about the brief overview is you make it sound like some decisions based on what type they are, you can just like, you don't have to really fuss about them as much as you think you do. And then others, obviously, I'm sure there's some challenging. So let's hear it. How do you make decisions? So I think first you need to understand that there's like two types of companies. I think there's small companies who are in the growing phase and their job is to learn as fast as possible. And the larger companies, they have assets, they have a market, established market. Their job is to defend their market as much as possible. So for us, in a position of learning, velocity trumps everything else. So this is, I mean, this is growth. You know, what growth was defined for is to explain the value of having high velocity to test a lot of things. And I'm not talking about doing, you know, shoddy stuff that you can just half-bake and throw at the wall to see if it sticks. I mean, what can be fast and what has to be slow? So at any point in time in our company, there are a bunch of really long-term initiatives, both in terms of marketing, in terms of product, technology. And there are things that we know we want to do fast because we know if we get them wrong, and we most likely will, we might as well minimize the time to success or failure to know if we need to double down on or cut it. And so those decisions that aren't things that you, you know, need to live with, you might as well make them really fast, see if they work, and adjust from there on. So it's, I mean, it's kind of the growth mindset applied to an entire company. I do believe that it brings a lot of things in terms of learning. I mean, in the end, what the the most important things are we discovered that this works and this doesn't and if you take 6 months in, as opposed to 1 month to learn something that you basically can't recover that yeah and i'm glad you mentioned that too like there is some decisions that are totally recoverable and mm-hmm. a lot of people <laughs> listening they're thinking like okay i'm 100% sales led is this going to be like make or break totally like ruin the business if you have this free trial a lot of cases it's not like if it doesn't work you could just go back to what was working. Yeah. And if it does keep working, like, yes, keep investing in it and keep growing in that direction because you're learning a lot about that and it's showing promise. And so for anyone listening, use that tidbit of advice because it's not going to be make or break. You can always go back if it's not working. And so I really appreciated this talk because... Sometimes it's so easy to just hear all these talks of all success stories and whatever, but it doesn't always work. And so I'm so happy that you 
we're able to, to come on here and just share like the honest truth of what happened at Hall with the free trial and why you're still going to kick ass <laughs> with yeah, this I mean, current version. That's it's happening. You, you would be surprised what happened after we removed the free trial and we adjusted our strategy, but that may be something for another another episode or podcast, I don't know. But I mean, we actually did a lot better than we were doing before the free trial and during the free trial. So all in all, very good things. We learned a lot and we learned, I mean, the main thing we learned is that people don't want, you know, their setup to work, which is what they're coming to us for in the first place. They actually want their problem solved. And so first you need to make them realize what their problem is. So that's, I mean, that's, that was a really big learning. Today we're optimizing for conversations. Yeah. And that sounds like one of the the best ways right now, at least to help people identify like, what is that problem? If they're coming from a a perspective, they they don't fully grasp it and understand how to, to solve it. So no. That's awesome. And I guess for people that want to learn, obviously, more about Hull and what you're up mm-hmm. to, where can they find out? Well, obviously, our main website is uh, hull.io. Uh, but we do have an amazing blog. And really, I say amazing because I could not be more grateful with the team that is writing there uh, on hull.io slash blog. That I, I really strongly recommend. It has a lot of uh, really in-depth thought leadership uh, about how and why you need to set up your data governance and data strategy in your team. And so this is us sharing what we learned over literally hundreds of cases from our customers and our vision for a scalable and clean data structure. And this has been, you know, bringing a lot of value to us and to our customers. They really praise what is written there. So this is where. Yes. And someone who has actually read the blog in a non-biased way, <laughs> I can attest. It is really great stuff. And so thank, thank you. you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this discussion. And I'm sure it's going to be incredibly valuable for others. So cheers. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Have a great day. Likewise. Likewise.